word. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, I'm going to read Proverbs 15 and 16, verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 16 for our text this morning. Proverbs 15 and 16. Good to have everybody here. If you're a visitor this morning, this is your first time at, at Crossway and I didn't get around to, to meet you, thank you for being here. God bless you. We're just always so glad for people to come and, and uh, join us and we just trust that you felt loved, not only by us, but by God. That's why we do what we do. So Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, just simply says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble that trouble with it. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and all of the trouble that goes with it. I'm going to preach this morning with this title, Little is Much. Pray with, or, uh, yeah, pray with me this morning. <clears throat> Father, we, we pause today as we turn to the pages of your word. I recognize today, God, that I'm only a, a broken vessel, an earthen vessel. I don't have the words, I don't have the ability, the anointing in and of myself uh, to preach this message that you've placed in my soul. But God, you can speak it. Through your spirit, you can speak it in a way that will touch every heart that is here, but that it'll truly hit its mark, that it'll spring up faith within us, God, to realize that you are walking with us. You go before us, you go behind us, you're on the right, you're on the left. God, that you are faithful to those who trust you. Again, Lord, I just pray for your anointing today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, little is much. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron. For the most part, we think about uh, little as being uh, a bad thing. You know, I mean, if you have a little money, uh, we think that's worse than having a lot of money. But I want us to see today that the word, of the, first of all, let me say this. The word of God meets every need. It ministers to every person, no matter where you are at, no matter what you're going through, it meets every need. Every sermon will benefit every Christian. I believe that. And I try to, and I try to believe that whenever I'm, I'm preparing a message to understand that though I'm speaking to several different people and several different people going through different things, this same message can minister to you whatever you're, you're going through. So every sermon uh, is beneficial to, to every Christian. But as I was kind of praying about this message and um, preparing for this message, I just kind of had this this feeling uh, in, my, in my heart that it was, it's intended for a specific group, not only like one family or anything, but, but an individual or a group, people that maybe right now desperately need this word today. Again, I feel like every time I preach and it's the word of God, we always, all of us desperately need the word of God. But I feel like and I pray that this message is maybe just what you needed to hear Something that you've been going through, something you've been asking God about, you've been praying for, and it seems hopeless, and maybe that you desperately need this, and this is the hope that you have. This gives you the hope that you need uh, to trust God to bring you through whatever, wherever it is that you're at right now. And so uh, maybe you're, you know, those, those of you who are, are going through great challenges right now, and, um, you know, the odds are just stacked against you, Okay. And maybe, you've never, maybe you're not in that particular situation right now, but I would venture to say at some point in your life you've, you've experienced that. The odds are just stacked against you. Or maybe things are great right now in your life and you just, you, you couldn't, you'd have to make something up to complain. I mean, things are great and you can't imagine anything being bad, but you don't know what next week will bring. There's, I mean, you, life can go on as usual and in one moment, one phone call, one, one meeting with the boss, one doctor's appointment. I mean, one moment can literally change the entire, entire traje trajectory. I think I said that right. The entire trajectory of your life. One moment. 
And so you can go from everything being great to everything just being in the toilet all at once. And so there's moments in, in, a, in a person's life, in everybody's life, Christian and, and believer and unbeliever alike, where literally the odds are just stacked against you. Moment where things just don't add up in your favor. You, you run all the numbers and you don't see how in any way, shape, or form you, you come out on head, come out ahead or on top. Those are moments that we absolutely as humans despise and those are moments that we do everything in our power to avoid. But sometimes those moments in our life are, are the axis. They're, they're the pivotal moments. Sometimes those horrible times can actually end up being the, the best thing that ever happened to us. Because when we get into a place where the odds are stacked up against us and we have nowhere to turn but to God. Amen? Now in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, Jesus He's giving a parable. He's speaking. A parable was a, a story he would tell that had a spiritual meaning to it. Uh, something He's trying to get a spiritual point across to people who aren't really that spiritual, right? I mean, he's trying to get this into their mind. So let's look at what Jesus, ultimately, the message he's trying to get across. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed or planted in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Little is much. There's an old song that says, little is much when God is in it. You ever heard that? Little is much when God is in it. Jesus is using the example of a seed, a mustard seed on top of that. I mean, every, most every kind of seed is pretty small, but a mustard seed, you ever seen one? I mean, it's a speck. They're really, really little. Now, this seed, uh, I had Jennifer put up here. This is, how many of you would say, how many of you would call this an acorn? How many of you would call it an acorn? Right? My kids always get on to me. I'm like, man, there's the deer. They're not out in the fields this year. There's too many acorns. They're like, dad, it's acorn, not in Missouri. It's an acorn. But relatively speaking, that acorn is pretty small. You ever seen an oak tree? They're pretty big, right? But you plant the acre and you plant the seed. That's the whole, God built it this way. The whole concept of a seed is fascinating to me. So you can take this little seed and it has all the components in it to grow an enormous oak tree that will then produce more acorns, right? That seed, God, God deals in the small. He deals in the little, that's how God works in our life. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a seed, specifically a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. And once it's planted, it begins to grow. Now, Jesus here talking about, there's a number of things we can read into this, but he's talking ultimately about the kingdom of God. Now, you think about Jesus being uh, one, okay? And then when he began his ministry, he called 12, right? And then as those 12, as the kingdom of God began to grow in them, they began to preach to others. And then there were, in, in the book of Acts, we read about in the upper room, I think there was 120, if I remember correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was 120 people in the upper room. And then we see where Peter and all of the other apostles go out and begin to preach the gospel, specifically on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter stands up and he preaches. And the Bible says that 3,000 people got saved that day. So you see what's happening Right, it started with little, 
And it grew big to the point where today, in 2,000 years later, we, this is a good group of believers right here, but we're a very small number compared to all of the Christians worldwide. And it all started with Christ, that seed, that little thing. That's, what the, that's how the kingdom of God works. We would prefer God to just deposit $10 million in our account Right off the bat, as soon as we start living, right? And life would be good. God says, it's not how it works. I, I anoint and I bless the little. And it grows. And you grow with it. So the kingdom of God literally growing and people getting saved, but the kingdom of God grows within us that way. How much do you know about Jesus? Maybe you've just recently been saved. It's just, it's just that seed's been planted and you know little. But God moves upon that little. He blesses that little. He breathes on that little. Right, I, I believe you know God created the entire earth, and He just scooped up a little of the dirt, and and that dirt became a living soul. How did that little bit of dirt become a man? God breathed on it. God blessed it. Now there's what six billion people in the earth, or something like that, and all of the gazillion people who have ever lived, and it all started with a little dirt. That's how God works. Little is much when God is in it. Little is a lot when God is in it. He's got a seed in you. The kingdom of, especially if you're saved, the kingdom of God is in you. And just know this, no matter what the circumstances around you happen, the kingdom of God is gonna grow in you. Amen? And through it, you'll find God to be faithful. A little money is plenty when God is in it. Hear me? Money's not gonna fix all your problems even if money is your problem. Did you hear me? Even if money is your problem, money is not gonna fix your problem. A little money is plenty if God is in it, if he has blessed it, if he has, if he has anointed it, if we have given it and yielded un, unto him. It's not about massive amounts. A little time is plenty when God is in it. Amen? No, you may not have 10 hours a day to study the Bible, but 10 minutes with God's blessing on it can be much, right? 10 minutes alone with God to the heart that just says, God, I have to know you. I'm desperate for you. I need you more than I need everything that we were talking about earlier. That little time is plenty. God, God can do an enormous amount of thing, things with that little bit of time that you've given unto him because little is much when God is in it. <laughs> a, little bit, a little group of people is plenty when God is in it. See, Jesus didn't call a million people at first to go out and evangelize the world. He called 12. He just needed a small group of people that would give their heart to him. A little group of people is plenty when God is in it. This is, you know, again, good group, but compared to the six million people, or six, how many did I say? Six, six billion people that are in the world, this is a pretty small group. But a, but a small group of people is plenty. God can do great things in, in our lives and in our communities and in our generation if we're surrendered to him. It doesn't take an enormous amount. It takes one soul that's just on fire for God that refuses to just sit on you know, our spiritual hands and ride grace all the way to glory. A little, a little person with limited abilities, plenty with God. A little faith is plenty with God to do great things. So, say, Dennis, this is a big problem. I've got a big problem. Big, 
Big problem, no problem. Right? Say that with me. Big problem, no problem. Big problem, no problem. A big problem versus a big God, God always wins. A big problem when faced against a mighty big God, that problem is never big. There used to be a song, there was a little old lady that went to uh, Blackjack Church when where, uh, my mom and Glendale and all of us grew up. And uh, she used to always sing. She didn't sing very often, didn't say much, but every time she sang, she sang the same song. And it was, when the waves are over my head, they're under his feet. When the waves are over my head, it's a song about Peter. You know, Peter sinks in the, in the waves and the sea, but Jesus was standing on top of the sea. Peter's problem was big, but it was small compared to God. There's a scripture that says, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but the, the uh, uh, see, the weakness of God is stronger than men. I, I'm paraphrasing that because I can't remember exactly how it goes, but something in nature, God on a bad day, if he were to have one, and he don't, but even if God were to have a bad day, he's still better than anything we can muster on our greatest day. Those waves, those problems, they're big, they're over my head, but they're under his feet. I've got a big problem, but I've got a bigger God. What if God's people live that way? What if we were bold about the way we declared that? What if we believed that? I've got a big problem, but my God is bigger than my problem. I think there's a song that goes that way too, isn't there? God is bigger than all my problems, right? That's all I know of that song, so I won't sing anymore. But uh, what we have to understand as God's people, what we see throughout the word of God, and what we're going to show you here and see this pattern, but little does not intimidate God. Little does not intimidate God. It intimidates us, but it doesn't intimidate God. In fact, of the matter, if you really look at it, scripturally speaking, God prefers little. He prefers when we have a little money, a little time, a little group of people. He prefers the small because if, if little people with a little time, little abilities, little resources do great things, then the great God gets all the glory, right? That's how God operates through the little. He prefers it. So he's not wigged out by our little. There's never a moment in our life when God is wringing his hands and going, oh man, I don't know how I'm gonna, what are we gonna do? They, they just have a little bit of money and they got all these bills and they lost their job or they're, they're sick and God thinking, oh, God doesn't lay awake at night trying to figure out how he's gonna come through for you or me. Little does not intimidate God. And so what, he wants us to get to a point, I believe, in our life where little doesn't intimidate us either. Amen? Sure, I have little. I got a little resources, a little time, a little money. Everything I have, everything I can muster is just little. I got a great big problem, but I got a great big God. And I know that he's going to be faithful. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, but many, not many were of noble birth. But God chose, everybody say chose. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When God has a work to be done on the earth, he calls those, he chooses those on purpose. You know, he chooses the foolish, weak people. Uh, point A, right? Example number A. He didn't call me to preach the gospel because I 
had all of this ability to preach the gospel or because I had all of this influence. I was a little 19-year-old kid that went to a church out in the middle of nowhere in Dora, Missouri. He didn't call me because of my credentials or because of my, no, not at all. He found the most foolish, weakest person he could find. He chose, he chooses. God did not, God did not get stuck with us. He chose us. That the person who feels like they have ability, God will reject. And that's something. God said, I prefer the little, the small, the weak, because then they can't boast in the things that they do. Dennis Walton cannot stand up here and brag that I built this church and I built this congregation and I, I this and I this ministry, my ministry and this. I, I can't. It's still a wonder to me. I mean, really, I can't believe you're all here. I know it's not because of me. I know it's not because of me personally. I, God alone gets the glory for all of this because I'm so weak. You know, if I'd have went and went to a bunch of seminars on how to build a church congregation, I was real smart and I was real strong and witty and all of these types of things, then I would hear back and say, look what I built. You know, look at this congregation, look what I've done. I can't, I can't. I still go to God at times and I pray. I'm like, God, I just, I don't understand it. Why, why me? I don't get it. There's people out there way more qualified. And it's, it's the same way in every aspect. God says, that's, that's the way I operate because when weak people do things, I get the glory for it, God says. Because he's a, he's a great big God, bigger than all of our problems, bigger than all of our obstacles. If, if God ever leads you to do, he's never gonna call us to do something easy. I don't read anywhere in the scripture where God calls people to do something easy and within their capacity to do it. He always calls us to do something that he knows we can't do. Isn't that amazing? But then he steps in and gives us the power and the strength to do it. When Brady was a little bitty boy, if I were to take, you know, a great big something, I don't know nothing, a chair. I don't know, that's why it just came to my mind. But Brady, I want you to take this, move this chair over to the other side of the, the living room. He's not physically able to do it. But I say, I say, do it. Just trust me, do it, and, and I'll help you. And if he was to try it on his own, he's, but if I come along and I carry it, like he's got his hands, you ever, you've done this to your kids, help me, and they're like, you know, and they're not doing, they're not contributing at all. You're the one actually carrying it, but they're, you know, you're, you're showing them that they can do so, but you're going to be there to help them. And that's literally, I feel like that's the way God operates in our lives, in our callings, in our ministry, in our homes, in that he gives us things that he knows are bigger and too hard for us to do. But he, but he says, I'm going to be there to actually do the heavy lifting. That's how God works. Through the little, don't despise, the Bible says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. The little things, that's how God operates. As, I was, as all this was kind of, you know, cooking in my spirit, I began to think about, and I guess I don't know if I've ever thought of this before, just hadn't thought about it for a long time, I don't know, but it just kind of, all these things that we read about in Scripture, these, these, um, uh, these times that we read about in Scripture, these events where uh, God has taken the little, there's so many, it's a pattern throughout the entire word of God. See, because God doesn't change, okay, you understand that? God is, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So the way that God operated in the lives of people 6,000 years ago is the same way he operates in the lives of people today, right? His, him being faithful to us. And I begin, I just, all these things I begin to think, and I'm not going to, I can't tell every uh, story in detail, just time won't allow that, but 
Uh, but think about it. Let me give you the highlights and just think about the pattern that we see throughout the word of God. So we see in Kings, we see uh, uh, Elisha was a prophet of God and he comes in contact with a, a little widow lady, okay? And there was famine. The whole land was plagued with famine and he comes across this little widow lady. She's got a son and she's struggling just to get by and provide for her son and he comes up to her and Elisha says, I, would you please make me something to eat? And she said, I can't. I have a little meal or flour or cornmeal, whatever, whatever it was. I have a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. And I'm going to take a, that what little I've got, I'm going to make it. And then me and my son are going to eat it. And then we're going to die. What she meant was, this is it. I don't have no more flour. I don't have no more oil. This is our last meal because I have no way of buying any more food. All the famine and the drought, everybody's going hungry. This is it. I have a little bit, and then it's over. And Elijah, or Elisha, asks her to do the funniest thing. He says, well, I'll tell you what, make me a cake first. Take what little you've got, make me a cake. Now, wouldn't the New York Times and the headlines like to get a hold of a story like that? Preacher takes widow's last meal. I want you to take that flower and I want you to make me, and it wasn't about him per se necessarily. God was showing her something and showing us because we still read about this that happened. And so he said, make me a cake first and then basically watch and see what God does. So she takes her little meal, little oil, makes a cake, gives it to the man of God. And she goes back, I guess, probably to wash her dishes, to wash out the pots you know, thinking, well, they're empty now, so I just will go wash them out. And she goes back and she looks and she's like, there, there's, there's, there's more oil in there. There's more meal in there. And she's like, well, I know I just emptied it. I mean, when she's making Elisha the cake, she's like, got the pot upside down, she's hitting it like this. Every drop comes out. She knows for a fact it was empty and now there's more in there. And she's like, well, cool. So she pours it out and she makes a cake and her and her son eat. And she's like, well, that's good. At least I got one more day before we croak. She goes back and she looks again, and there's more in there again. And the Bible says that that happened every day until the drought was over. Every day there was just enough to provide for her and her son. God did not give her a warehouse full of meal and oil. He took her little that she was willing to yield unto God. God blessed her little, and little was much because God was in it. Isn't that amazing? That's not a fairy tale. That's not just a story. That's something that happened. We, we read where uh, Gideon was a, was a man who led armies for Israel. He didn't necessarily want to at first. God has a way of getting us to do things, right? But the bottom line is, here's the, here's the nutshell of the story. Gideon and the, and the Israelites were facing a nation and armies that exceeded anything that they could ever, I mean, the, uh, 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 I just drew a blank. Was it the Midianites, the Philistines? Remember, anybody? Anyway, armies of people that Gideon was gonna have to go into battle against. So in, in, in our human mind, if I'm, if I'm gonna take an army into battle, and the, the army that I'm fighting has more people and horses and chariots than I can count, my natural mind would say, I need to get as many soldiers as I can, right? Because more would be better. More soldiers, more chariots, more tanks would be better as I, when I go up against this, this army. 
And so God comes to Gideon and says the strangest thing. God says to Gideon, you have too many soldiers. I don't remember the number ratio. I uh, I should look this up, but you have too many soldiers to fight this battle. And Gideon's like, Lord, I don't have enough soldiers. No, you have too many. And so he begins to weed them out. Finally, you know, uh, Gideon goes to his armies. He gathers all his soldiers together. And he said, look, I've got to thin you guys out. Anybody that's scared, if you're fearful to go to battle, you're released. You can go home. And the majority of those men went home. And they were left with, I believe it was around 10,000 men then at that point. So Gideon's kind of nervous about going into battle with, a, with you know, an army of 100 and, or maybe 200,000 people and all he's got is 10. He's nervous about that. And God comes to him and he says, Gideon, you still have too many. You still have too many soldiers. Because if, I, if you go into battle with 10,000 soldiers, somehow when it's all said and done, you'll still be able to convince yourself that it was by your mastermind uh, uh, war strategy that you won this battle. He said, I want you to go in with little I want you to be completely outnumbered. I want the odds to be completely stacked against you so that when this battle is over and you win, and you will, there will be no doubt whatsoever that I'm the one that gave you the victory. And God literally weeds them down to 300 men. It's a little group of men going to battle against army of maybe a couple hundred thousand, however many. It was a little that God operated in. What little do you have? In your life right now, odds stacked against you, but you have a little. I know you do because God always provides that that we need. God will bless. He will breathe on that that we have. You know, the, the entire world was flooded. The entire population on the earth was destroyed and drowned in the flood. How many people was it that came through? Eight people. The entire world flooded. And God was going, God, his plan was to get rid of the evil and replenish the earth. He did not spare a million people to do that. He spared eight, right? A little group of people that had a heart for God, period. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God, he, God saw Noah's heart, that he had a heart for God, and God said, I'll take that one man and his family, that little group, and I'll repopulate the earth. And you know what? Here we are. It worked. It worked. The little method, it all worked. God, little does not intimidate God. God was actually willing to do it again when you read, uh, you know, when Israel had just failed God and failed God and failed God and, and God was so put out with the Israelites he was ready to destroy all them and he said Moses I'll start over with you I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bother God at all God was going to destroy here, here God's plan for the world that was going to involve he was going to do it all through the Israelites and God had built it up all these years to millions of people and God was willing to wipe them all out and start over with one man one man who had a heart for him God said I'm not intimidated by little I did her once, I can do it again. <laughs> of course, you can preach a message like this without talking a little bit about David and Goliath, right? They were outma- he was outmatched. David and Goliath, that's what the whole story's about. The fact that one little boy with no ability and no strength was able to defeat a giant man who had been a warrior his entire life. Little did not matter. 
when it comes to God. This little man against a great man. And if the story, you know, included a bazooka or something that David had, you know, or a Sherman tank or F-16, you know, fighter jet. I mean, if, if, David, if David had something in his power that was bigger than the giant, it wouldn't be that amazing. One little boy, one little bitty stone, right? And God brings down, we think about, okay, well, he defeated Goliath. He, he, he defeated a man, a big, strong man. No, he defeated much more than that. He, he defeated an entire army and an entire nation. Everything rested on this battle, the agreement was, whoever wins this battle, whether it's David or whether it's Goliath, whoever wins the battle, the, the other nation surrenders. So if David loses, the entire nation of Israel surrenders to the Philistines. If David wins, the entire nation of the Philistines surrenders to the Israelites. God didn't just defeat a big bully that day. He brought down an entire nation, right? He defied the arrogant armies of the Philistines who thought they could defeat the armies of God. He didn't use the biggest, strongest guy. You know, God went through, God had revealed to Samuel that he was going to use one of um, thank you, Jesse's son. I couldn't think of his name to save my life. He was going to use one of Jesse's sons to deliver the Israelites. And so when Samuel comes in, he tells Jesse, hey, God's spoken to me. One of your sons is going to be the deliverer of Israel, going to lead armies and, and going to deliver us from these Philistines. Bring all your sons in. And they're looking at him. And the Bible says that when the first oldest son, his name was Eliab, when Eliab came in for Samuel to examine him, Samuel said, this has got to be him. This guy looks like a king. He's huge. He's buff. He's built. Probably came in without his shirt on, had a six pack. You know, big biceps and guns blaring. You know, he comes in. This has got to be him. He's huge. And God speaks to Samuel and says, you're looking in the wrong spot. You're looking at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. That's not him. Every son, they bring him in. They bring him in. They bring him in. And none of them are them. Samuel's like, I don't understand it. None of these. He says, is this all your sons? And Jesse says, well, no, there's... David out and watching the sheep, the little one, right? The runt of the family. Trust me, he, he ain't it. Boy can barely boil water. I don't know. I mean, they didn't even bring him in. I mean, when, when Samuel said, one of your sons is going to be king, Jesse didn't even bring him in because he thought in his mind, he's too little. It ain't him. <laughs> and and when Samuel says, is this all your sons? Well, no, there's David, their little, their little one. Bring him in here. And the moment David walks in the room, God speaks to Samuel and says, that's him. And that's something. God chose the littlest one, and David became one of the mightiest men of God we, we read about in history. But he was a man that understood his limitations. David wrote in Psalms, he said, this poor man cried. He was wealthy, he was rich, he was king, but he considered himself poor. I'm little, I'm weak, I'm nothing. And that's how God was successful in using David. It was the little one that God used. Little as much when God is in it. My goodness, I could go, I could go on. Elisha, Elisha and the servant, uh, it was the little cloud that came. I'm not gonna take a bunch of time, but let me read this for you in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus, again, here speaking about that mustard seed. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, 
Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now I don't know about you, but there's times where I, I, I can recognize my lack of faith at times, the times where I doubt, the times that I fear, maybe even on the verge of unbelief. And when I look at my faith, I look at it as little. But but Jesus said, you have to understand that I work. That's how I do my best work, with with little. And even this whole, this whole, the reason Jesus said this is because a man who had been, uh, his son had been demon-possessed and he wanted so bad to see his son delivered. And he brings his son to the disciples to cast the devil out and they couldn't do it. And so then he comes to Jesus and he says, would you please cast this demon out? And we find the perfect example of what a little faith can do because Jesus asks the man, he says, do you believe that I can do this? And the guy said, yes, I do believe, but help my unbelief. He all but admitted I have faith, but it's just a little bit. Jesus took that little faith. He didn't reject him because he didn't have enough faith. He, he took what little faith he had, and Jesus said, your, your son has been healed and de- delivered his son with using that little faith that the man had. And then the disciples came to him, and they said, well, how come we couldn't do it? He said, your unbelief. Then he goes on to say, look, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Remember how small we said that is? If you have that much faith, little faith, you can say to a mountain, be cast into the sea and it'll be done. Nothing's impossible with you for you. God can take that little, if you're willing to exercise it and willing to use it and trust him with it, and God will accomplish it. Jesus took one little boy, he's, he's around a crowd they said 5,000 men, so that doesn't count the women and the children, who knows, maybe 10, 15,000 people gathered around Jesus as he's teaching. And they'd been out there so long, they became very hungry to the point where they were fainting out in the hot desert sun with nothing to eat and drink. And the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we need to send these people away so they can go get something to eat. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, well, how, how can we do that? We just have such a little bit well, there's this one little boy that has two loaves of bread and five fishes. Or was it the other way around? Five loaves of bread. You remember? I'm off of my, I'm off of my statistics today for some reason. How many? Five loaves of bread and two fish. We, we got this, I mean, this little boy, you know, he's got his lunch, but there's, there's 15,000 people here. We have this little, but what is that among so many? That's what they asked Jesus. We have a little, but what is that among so many? Jesus was about to teach him that little is much. Little is a lot when God blesses it, when God is in it. Jesus took that little, he blessed it, he broke it, he kept breaking it, he kept breaking it, he kept breaking it, and they're filling up baskets, and they fed the entire multitude of people using a little to the point, to the degree, where there's 12 baskets full left over. Filled the cup and overflowing. God took the little, multiplied it, and met the big need, the big problem that stared in front of them. Again, folks, the reason those scriptures are in the Bible, the reason that, that the, the Lord made sure those, those events are recorded in scripture are so that you and I can read them. And when we're facing our Goliath, we're facing our multitude, we're facing our lack and all the odds are stacked against us, it gives us the faith to understand. Again, remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God still does wonders with a little bit. Amen. He still does wonders with a little bit. I got a math equation. Uh, Jennifer, put my math equation up there. So, $1 times $5 million 
One dollar is not very much, right? You can't do much with one dollar. Five million dollars is a lot. You can do a lot with five million dollars. You take one dollar and you multiply it by five million dollars, you don't get one dollar. You get five million dollars. That little one dollar gets absorbed into this big dollar figure, right? One dollar times five million dollars equals five million dollars. You come out with the big number. So here's our spiritual equation for today. One boy's lunch times one mighty God equals one mighty God, right? One little boy's lunch times one mighty God. You're not left still with one little boy's lunch. You still have the one mighty God. It's the one, that, that's the, all that matters. The equals, what you're left with, the, that's what matters. The one mighty God. What does your equation look like? I've got this. It's so small. It's so little. But you multiply one mighty God, you end up with one mighty God. Amen. Ministering and working on your behalf day after day after day. Little is much when God is in it. Don't despise it. Give God what you've got. Give him your time, your money, your, your, your desires, everything you have, no matter how. Watch what God will do. Because I'll, I'll take it a step further and say this. Little is much when God is in it, but little is also much when God is not in it. A little bit without God can cause really, really big problems, right? I mean, Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, he said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven come to represent sin. It come to represent a legalistic religion. The Bible says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. The lump is the big thing of dough. Leaven is yeast. A little bit of yeast will make the whole lump of dough rise. Just takes a little bit. And, and sin works that way in our life, Right? A little bit of compromise. Don't ever underestimate the power of a little bit of compromise. Don't, don't fall into that, that trap. Satan is so sneaky, and he makes us feel like a little compromise is no big deal. A little, little is a lot when God isn't in it. A little sin, a little compromise can end up taking, taking us over. Sin will always take us further than we wanted to go. Amen? Little can be fatal, when God isn't in it. In fact, little, sometimes the little things that God's not in could be more dangerous than the, the big things that God's not in. I mean, look, look, look at it like this. If you had, let's say you have a lemon meringue pie, okay? Whew, nothing better than that. And somebody says to you, uh, here's a lemon meringue pie, but the whole thing is poison. Okay, no brainer. You're not gonna eat any of it. No problem to me, I'm not gonna eat it. But if somebody hands you a lemon meringue pie and says 98% of it is good, 2% of it is poison, just a little bit of poison in it. Now, that little bit of poison will kill you, but it's just a little bit. You might be, I would, might, I love lemon meringue pie so much. I might would be tempted to roll the dice and you know, they, well, it's just such a small bit of poison. Surely to goodness, I'll cut the slice that doesn't have the poison. I might be persuaded to, to chance it. 
That little bit of a poison can be worse and more dangerous to me than a lot. And that's, that's literally the way sin operates in our world. If the devil comes to you and said, you know, he gives you all of these, here, here's a gun, go kill somebody. Here's some drugs, go take them. Here's the, and he gives you this, it's just blatant temptations. We're going to say, no, nah, I don't want that. He's, you know, he's the devil. He, he, he shows up in his pitch, with his pitchfork and his red suit and a tail. He comes up and he says, I'm the devil, and I'm here to tempt you to do this, this, and this, and this. I mean, that's easy. I ain't going to follow that. But the Bible says he comes as an angel of light. He comes very subtly and deceitfully. And he just inserts a little bit of compromise, a little bit of sin, a little bit of temptation in there where it doesn't seem quite so harmful. Don't ever underestimate the power of a little bit of compromise. We see it time and time again. You look at someone like, like uh, uh, Samson or somebody who just, you see them in their life give a little by little by little. I, I, I've been down that same road in my own life. When I think about the, the low moments in my life when I was the furthest away from God, I, I didn't just jump off a cliff. You know, I didn't go from being on fire for God to being in, in the gully. I didn't jump off a cliff. That's not how sin works. You, you, just, you take that first step and it's a slippery slope, right? You're a little lower than you were and you're a little lower than you were because it's just a little compromise. Just, it takes us further than we really wanted to go. Let me, just, let me conclude with uh, reading a scripture here from Proverbs. Um, I forgot to mark it. Proverbs chapter six. It says, uh, go to the ant, O sluggard. In other words, let's look at the ant as an example. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. She just naturally does what she needs to do. Nobody has to tell the ant to prepare for winter. And then he's using that as an example for us. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What he's ultimately saying here is that it, it just takes a little compromise, a little time in which we let down our guard against all of the attacks of the enemy that can do major damage within our life. You know, we talked about David a minute ago, and, and it was a little man and a little stone that beat a big giant. But it was really kind of a little mistake David made that took him into a pretty deep time of sin. It was one time that the, they went out to battle, when all the kings go out to battle, but David decided he was going to stay home and chill. He was going to take it easy. And, and David, in that moment where he kind of got out of the battle for a little bit, I'm just going to take a little time off. I'm just going to. And it was in that time where the enemy come to him in, in a rage of temptation. And David commits adultery with a married woman. He has her husband killed. I mean, he just gets on this nosedive. It was a little folding of the hands, a little slumber, just a little moment. Let's, let's, take, let's take our little, everything that we have, and give it to God and just watch what he does with it. Don't underestimate the power of a little compromise, but don't ever underestimate the power, or the power of the little talents, the little time, the little money, the little abilities that you have. Don't ever underestimate what a powerful, mighty, awesome God can do with that. Amen? I hope you have hope today. I hope this gives you hope to understand when you walk out these doors, you may have came in with fear and, and, and unrest and what am I going to do? I hope that this morning you leave here with hope and comfort knowing God's got this. God's got this. Say it out loud. God's got this.
Amen. Bow with me this morning. God, we believe that you, you've got this. Lord, as we come to this point in the service, Lord, we thank you for your word, the hope, the encouragement that it gives us, the power that it gives us to take another step forward. God, I can't possibly know the hearts of the people today, Lord. As I said, I believe that there's folks here today, I don't know who, but folks that just, this was such a timely message for them. And I pray that it will accomplish its purpose. That you'll close their ears to every lie that Satan would speak to them. For every lie that the devil would speak to them, I pray that you would speak to them a thousand words of truth and hope and comfort. Let them walk out of here and stand, Lord, in the power of your might. In the hope that you give. Trusting in you as our mighty, mighty God. Take our little, multiply it, and do your work in us, Lord God. 